uh, okay, there we go. Good afternoon, everyone. I want you guys to just turn to your neighbors and just say, I'm so blessed that you're here today. see a lot of uh, unfamiliar faces. I just want to say welcome to New Philadelphia Church. I am Pastor Aaron. Uh, <laughs> and uh, my husband, Pastor Christian and I, we lead the church here. We're just glad that you're all here today. Uh, today, I want to preach on a story that is very familiar to the Christian body. And I hope that I can turn a familiar story into something that will really challenge you and I. And uh, so let's just open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel. And we're going to look at chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. All right, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 11. This is the famous story of David and Goliath. But I'm just going to focus for now on the first 11 verses, okay? So we'll just read it. Uh, responsive reading, I'll read a verse, and then you guys can read the following verse. Y'all ready? All right. Uh, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Okay, David and Goliath, it's a story that a lot of us are familiar with. If you grew up in the church, you probably had some David and Goliath scene, you know, on the wall, the cartoon version in painting or in poster board, maybe paper mache, I don't know. David and Goliath, we use it a lot. Uh, and oftentimes we, we deem it as just a story for children. Because we know that David, during this time, when this uh, incident happened, he was a young well, I don't want to say boy. He was probably less than 20. So he was a young man, but he was young. And so a lot of times we use this passage specifically for young or very young uh, 
children, middle school, maybe high school. Uh, and we rarely get to see the richness of this passage because we're so familiar with it. The thing about David and Goliath that I want to talk about today is I want to put a different emphasis on this story. A lot of times you hear the story of David and Goliath and you're like, man, David is a boy that had massive amounts of courage. See, we just read in the first 11 verses, the Philistines came to uh, the grounds where Israel had uh, territory and they decided to challenge God's people. And basically they threw out their champion of champions, Goliath, who was a beast of a man. He was about 10 feet tall. Basically he can dunk without jumping. Can you imagine just like, just like standing there, like 10 feet tall He was huge and he goes out and he does a challenge to all of the Israelite army. He basically challenges them almost in an insulting way. And he's like, come on, who do you have? What you got? Send me your best man. And so we just read that passage, but later on we realized that David, who was just getting some food for his older brothers, he wasn't even a soldier. He was a young buck. He was just going, running an errand for his father, somehow found himself listening to this giant's words and getting infuriated. He listened to what the giant had to say, and it pissed him off. It just burned inside of him. And he's like, well, hold on a second. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Can you imagine all the soldiers are like scared out of their mind? And little David's just like, who is this man? Think he is. He went out with boldness. And later on, you guys know the rest of the story. He goes out, uh, not with decked out in armor, but he goes out just with a staff, a sling and five smooth stones. Every time I heard that story, I thought it was five, like little itty bitty little rocks, you know, like pebbles, like, uh. You know, and I was like, what? It's actually, the stones were actually larger than a baseball. So when we're talking about, it it was legit, you know? All right, David. David wasn't, can you imagine? Anyway, so, so here comes David and he ends up defeating Goliath. And I love it. He ends with cutting off Goliath's head. I want to talk about cutting off the giant's head. Can I talk about cutting off heads today? I know it sounds like it's going to be a gruesome message, but it's just stay with me here. You know, oftentimes we relate the giant in our lives to be circumstances or people. We say, man, this job that I'm working at is like a Goliath. And I just need to quit and get the heck out of here. Or this boss needs to better recognize who I am. Or we think it's people in our lives. We often relate the giant to specific circumstances. I want to tell you that the giant actually is not a circumstance. It's not a person. The giant is deception. Okay, the giant represents deception. If there is one thing that stands between you and you pursuing God's greatest dreams for your life, it's deception. If there's one thing that has the power to stop you, it's just one thing, y'all. It's not a person. It's not a situation. It's not a circumstance. It's not a bunch of people hating on you. It's not a gang. It's not going to be a whole church. It's not going to be your family. None of that can't stop God's plan for you. But one thing can, it's deception. Deception. We're a people of truth. Amen. Our father is the, is, he's the father of truth. Unlike Satan, who's the father of lies. And yet the only weapon that the devil has, get this, it's not sickness. 
The devil can't defeat us with sickness. He can't defeat us with circumstances. He can't defeat us with, you know, whatever I mentioned earlier. The only way that he can defeat you and I is if he tricks us, is if he deceives us, if he fools us, if he lies and you and I make it our truth. I want you guys to just turn to your neighbor and say, don't be deceived. <laughs> yeah, like, do not be deceived. Let me talk about deception, okay? Because this is an important thing. This is, we're in a season of building, amen? We're in a season of pursuing our dreams. We're in a season of taking not just steps of faith, but leaps of faith. We're in the season of getting out of our comfort zone, getting a little bit uncomfortable, but pursuing God. We're in a season of not being cautious, but running. And because that's the season we're in, we have to be aware of this one thing, deception. The thing about deception that I want to talk about today is one, do not be intimidated by the clothes. See, Goliath, I know you're all like, mm-hmm, amen. <laughs> Goliath was 10 feet tall, but if he was 10 feet tall, puny, had nothing on him, no weapons, and just walked up there all tall and lanky, nobody would be scared of him. But what Goliath had was very interesting. Turn with me. Let's look closely to his his outfit, okay? Starting from verse five, read this. He said he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. Let's just stop there, okay? A helmet of bronze and a coat of mail. A coat of mail was kind of like this chain link coat, okay? And it's kind of like fish scales. If you guys can imagine fish scales, but like with metal, okay? And it's actually said that that specific, uh, coat of mail and the bronze helmet, it weighed 125 pounds. Just those two things. 125 pounds. Goliath was wearing me on him. Okay. He, it's just like he wore me. And then on top of that, if you continue, okay, he had bronze armor on his legs and then a javelin, a bronze between his shoulders and a shaft in his uh, a shaft of his spear, like a weaver's beam. And that spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. He was wearing me and he was carrying me. So you can imagine Goliath walking and listen, all the Israelites weren't just intimidated by his height. They were intimidated by what he was wearing. You got to understand that the Israelite army at this time, it wasn't a sophisticated army. In fact, a lot of times what they used were just hammers or sticks or just, you know this because in previous fights, it said that not many of them had swords. If swords wasn't even a, a basic thing in their army, then you can imagine when Goliath stepped in with like high tech armor and a bronze helmet and a javelin and a spear and all of this, it must've been intimidating. Have you guys ever been intimidated by someone before? It's another message, but it's, it's intimidating. And the thing is, deception is like that. The funny thing is deception, the substance of it is quite weak, but it clothes itself with what we think is impenetrable. And what I mean by that is deception clothes itself with circumstantial evidence. You know, we had, a. Uh, a sister named Suji, who was a dear friend of my husband's, she didn't attend this church, but over a year ago, her mother had an aneurysm. And what happened was, you guys know what an aneurysm is, a blood vessel bur burst in her, in her brain. She got rushed to the hospital and the doctors basically said, get ready to say goodbye to your mom because she's about to die. It was a, she was in a serious state. 
It wasn't that they found the aneurysm about to happen. It was too late. It already burst. And for anybody that knows that, it's a, it's a dire situation. And what happened was we found out and we decided to pray as a whole church, if some of you guys were there, at our retreat. We decided to pray not the deception, but we pray the truth. And it sounded funny, but we said, God, we thank you that Suji's mom is healed. We said a statement that was in complete opposition to everything that was seen. But get this, Goliath, he's got some clothes on, and so does deception. It's easy. Oh, thank you that Suji's mom is healed. That's nice. But you know what we were working against? We were working against an armor of statistics, a doctor's diagnosis, charts. They said two surgeries had to be done, and even the surgeries don't get your hopes up. And yet, despite all of the armor that the deception she will be sick and die was wearing, we persisted in believing our uncovered little selves, just like David, with just a stick and maybe five stones and a sling. We decided, you know what? It doesn't matter. The truth is the truth. A lot of people would look at that situation. They would see the statistics. They would hear the doctor's diagnosis. And all they would see is just like looking at Goliath with all of that armor. And saying, there is no way that I'm going to be able to fight this. Might as well say, give, I give up right now. There's no way that I'm going to overcome this situation or this addiction. There's too many armors of years where I have fallen. There's no way I'm going to get rid of this problem or this issue. Because the armor is just, it is, it's impenetrable. Sometimes our truth feels naked. It feels like we're believing in something we have nothing to hold on to. It's like believing that someone's going to be healed, but nothing in the natural says that it's going to be true. Nothing. Yet get this. It didn't matter. All David needed was one stone. One stone. See, he, out of all of the army men, he was the only one that remembered who he was. He had one stone flung it, and it was game over. All of Goliath's army was meaningless. We prayed a prayer for Suji's mom. We contended for her. Suji got other churches to pray. And all together, just as a whole family of God, we prayed. And we found out that her mom undergoes surgery. But after that surgery, the doctors were amazed because every symptom and every sign of death had completely disappeared. She was supernaturally healed. And rather than keeping her there at the hospital, they meant to do another surgery. They were planning on doing some emergency surgeries. They sent her home that week. And they said, I have no idea what to tell you. We have no idea what just happened. All we know is you are healthy enough to go home. And to this day, Suji's mom is fully healed, living, alive, and very happy. It was a fancy armor we were coming against. Deception likes to do that. We get a little bit blindsided by the statistics. We get a little bit blindsided by what we call reality. But something that God's people need to understand is reality is not truth. Only the word of God is. I don't care who your giant is. I don't care what his name is. I don't care what kind of statistics or, or charts or mistakes that he's covered with that, that make you think that there's no way you're going to overcome it. 
All you need is one stone, one revelation of God, that what he stands for is false and it's done. Don't be intimidated by the clothes. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, don't be intimidated by the clothes. You know, the thing about deception that we need to understand is its plan is to dominate you. Okay, deception is not here to just trick you one time. It's here to rule over your life. It says in verse, uh, here we go, verse 9, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, this is Goliath speaking, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Deception wants to dominate. It wasn't about a battle, one battle, one person wins and one person loses. There was a lot more at stake here. We're talking about a whole people group coming under bondage because of one fight. A whole people group. It was either going to be the Philistines or it was going to be the Israelites. One or the other, the whole group, the whole people, the whole gang was going to end up serving the other group because of this one fight. The problem is we think that believing in lies or entertaining deception, because sometimes we know what we're thinking is wrong. But we think that entertaining deception isn't that big of a deal. It ain't that big. So what? Yeah, I know it's a lie, but you know what? I'm just, I'm just walking it out. I'm God. I'm in the process. God's not finished with me yet. And we just excuse after excuse after excuse. You know that God loves you and that he's created you with purpose, yet we squander our life. Or you know that that issue in your family that you've been feeling so hopeless about, that God has the power to bring reconciliation, and yet you still in despair. Listen, deception doesn't want to just trick you. It wants to dominate you. It wants you to become a servant of it. Let me explain. When you're deceived, all of a sudden we wander into the land of fear. We begin to make our homes in the place of anxiety, in the place of anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. We begin to tent out right over there. And better yet, we begin to build there. Forget building a tent. We build houses, okay? We build ha- with picket fences on the land of anger. Like, I'm going to be chilling here for a long time, so I'm going to settle in. I'm going to move all my furniture here. And we think that it's just, it's just, it's just me. But guess what? When deception comes in through one person, a whole group gets affected. You can see this through families. You can see that, you know, when there is even something like cancer or diabetes, something that we know can, can possibly be, you know, where genetics can pass it down amongst other family members, even mental illness. What happens is when a family member begins to say, you know what, this runs in our family. Someone agrees with that statement all of a sudden that perpetuates and affects not just that one person who has it, but everybody else, generations that are to come. But it just takes one person to say, you know what, I don't care how genetics works. All I know is the blood of Jesus is much more powerful and much more stronger than whatever statistic is out there. And I don't care. There will be no diabetes. There will be no cancer. There will be no sickness. There will be no mental illness in my family, period, in the family to come. You know, it seeks to deceive 
you and put you and others into bondage. Deception leads to bondage. You can even think about, (laughs) you can think about even racism. You know, the way that you grew up in your household. I grew up in a Korean family. I had Korean parents. And actually, they were pretty open. I didn't really ever get influenced by my parents at all about looking down on any other races. But not everybody has that experience. If you're Korean, that's one thing. Even other ethnicities or races, they got some racist people, all right? Everybody has a little bit of racist, you know, in their people group, okay? Let's be real here. But you'll notice that if you trace racism, it's often through the family. Why do people, why do people think that that's true, that someone's below them or someone's not good like they are? Or, you know what, we should never marry, you know? We should never marry that kind of person. Why does that, if you, tra- I'm telling you, if you look carefully, you will see that it is a thought. It is a deception that was spread by someone else that was influential, even in the family. You'll notice that it'll be like maybe a grandma Oh, sweet little grandma who's racist. (laughs) Oh, honey, I love you. Don't be going near those people. You know what I mean? Like sweet little grandma or sweet little grandpa or, you know, whatever. If you trace it back, I'm telling you, it started with one person believing in something that was not true. And all of a sudden you have generation after generation who now have to confront that deception and maybe even still believe it. That's sad. Deception is out to get y'all. Not to just put you into bondage, but to put those that you love, those that you care about, and your future families in bondage as well. We can't afford to entertain deception. Another point that, man, I want to hit this one in is deception is designed to waste your time. Let's talk about some time here. We're called to be stewards, not just of finances, not just of our anointing, not just of our natural gifts, our resources. You and I are stewards of our time. How do you spend your time? What do you do with your time? Sometimes I hear myself complaining, oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to do what I want to do. And like, I hear myself and I want to hit myself like, shut up. There's pl- Listen, one truth that you guys all need to get is you have more than enough time to do what God has called you to do every single day. Let that sit for a moment. More than enough time. Okay, let me move on there. I just wanted to say love that for a moment, right? It's designed to waste your time. You know, a story, the story of David and Goliath, some people, they don't, when they read it, they think it happened all one day. Oh, here comes the Philistines. Here comes Goliath. Here comes him chanting and, and, you know, uh, provoking the Israelites. And then that very day, David goes and gives food to his brother. And that very day, he blah, 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 blah. No, it didn't happen in one day. 40 days, y'all. 40 days, Goliath taunted the Israelites. Every morning they would wake up, the armies would get dressed, they would stand one mountain, the other mountain, and Goliath would make his way back down and point his finger and say, which one of y'all is going to fight me? 40 days, twice a day. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Who can come and defeat me? He taunted them. 40 days, that means that for 40 days, the Israelites were scared out of their minds. Scared enough that not a single person went to fight Goliath. It was 40 days before young David came onto the scene. 40 days. He came on the 41st day. That's a lot of time, you guys. That's a month 
more than a month. 40 days of being afraid. The funny thing is, some of us, we've been afraid our whole lives. We've been paralyzed, not just for 40 days. I'm talking about since that time we were a kid and we got scared by whatever, whatever. Since then, we found ourselves being afraid of anybody and everyone. 40 days for us, often it could be even a lifetime. Can you imagine? That's a lot of time to be scared. That's a lot of time wasted to be scared. So much of deception is actually designed, even if it doesn't necessarily defeat you in the end, it's there to waste your time. It's there to get you to be low on yourself and nobody loves me (laughs) for like a week. And maybe by the end of the week, you're like, oh no, I'm loved. I'm loved. But for a week, for a week, you were out of commission. For a week, you couldn't release joy in the office. For a week, you couldn't even read your Bible. For a week, you couldn't even connect with God. Why? Because you allowed yourself to agree with deception. Time is precious, you guys. We don't have a lot of it. In fact, the word of God says the days are evil, so manage your time well. And one of the ways that is such an abomination when it comes to managing our time, it's when we allow ourselves to just swim in just the waters of deception. I know it's not true, but basically I want to waste another two weeks being upset about this. You know, unforgiveness is a waste of time. Bitterness is a waste of time. Anger is a waste. I don't care what that person did to you. They're stealing time. Deception is out to rob you. It wants to rob not only your joy and your hope for the week. It wants to rob everything, all the promises of God. It's designed to rob it all, take it all from you. I don't know if you guys ever been robbed before. Anybody been robbed here before? Okay, thank you, Philly and that couple. All right. Unfortunately, I stand here today. I never been robbed, but I used to rob people. <laughs> now, I didn't share this at Hillside. It's about to get real here. You know, you guys know that I used to steal back in the day a lot. I got arrested for stealing. But, you know, there's kind of like a moral compass even with stealing. Because when you steal from a store, you don't feel as bad. It's like no one's really getting hurt, you know. It's not that bad. It's a store. But when you rob from a person, it's like grimy, right? Yeah, I rob from people as well, okay? I remember one night I was in New York City, and we were at a bar, and I saw just a bag out, and the poor person probably was not from New York, and went to the bathroom and left a huge bag out in the bar. And I looked at it. I looked at my friend. I got up. I picked the bag up, and I walked out. I am not proud of that moment. But I'm pretty sure that that person that I robbed was pissed. I'm pretty sure that they knew that what happened was not right. I'm pretty sure that they understood that it was a complete violation. It was a trespass. We need to see deception like that. When you hear a lie trying to get in you, you got to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think so. You better give me my bag back. That, if that person saw me try to take their bag, they're probably like, you know. I mean, I, my moral compass was so off back then. I remember even my first retreat at this church, I brought that bag as my, the bag that I carried. Let me just say something. The blood of Jesus is powerful. 
It is strong and it has redeemed me. After I did my H&D and I completely repented and turned from my very evil ways, um, I remember taking that back, looking at it, filled with just so much shame. You know, like if you hear me steal from a store, it's like, Pastor Aaron, how could you do that? But hearing me steal from a person, it's like on another level of wrong, isn't it? And you can imagine how I felt about it, looking at it. And I, part of my testimony is I filled a huge imigabang, like an immigration bag, the ones that you zip and it like expands until it's like this tall. It starts off like this small and it just continues to get higher. That's an immigration bag. I filled it all the way where the zippers were all undone, filled it with all the items that I've stolen from people and from stores and from whatever. And I remember looking at that bag in particular and just being like, this is just not me anymore. Boom, dumping it. Anyway, just quick story that I'm redeemed. God can redeem you too. But there was a trespass that happened. What I did to that poor person was I robbed them. I robbed them of something that belonged to them. Something that they had every authority to keep and to carry forever. Well, for their lifetime. You know, when deception comes our way, I want you to understand that that's its goal. It wants to rob you. It wants to rob you of your precious time of your thought life, how much time do we spend worrying? How much time do we spend stressed out? How much time do we spend upset, fearful? How much time do we spend even tired, exhausted, telling ourselves that, man, we don't have enough time to do what we're supposed to do? How much time do we spend wasting away coming into agreement with the devil as opposed to coming into agreement with the truth? There's nothing that wastes more time than deception. So what do we do? Okay, deception, it wears clothes. All right, it tries, to fool, it tries to fool us in order to dominate us, to put us back into bondage, and it's designed to waste our time. Now, what do we do? The thing about David, can I just say, is that what he did wasn't that spectacular. That's the lesson that I hope you guys walk away with. Because sometimes we look at David's story and we're like, wow, way to go, David. You did a good job. You know, way to defeat that Goliath. Wow, one day I hope I could be like David. One day I want to I wanna be so strong in my faith that I can defeat that giant. Eh. All right, let me tell you something. Being a giant slayer should be like a hobby to us. All right, it should be like, man, I'm bored. What do you all want to do? Just cut some giant's heads off? You know what I mean? Like, it should be like... It should be a hobby. It should be a, a just passing the time. Why? Because David understood who he was. In fact, later on, Saul questions David and says, whose son are you? Whose son are you? And he said, man, I am son of Jesse. I wish that we walked around knowing whose son we were. Whose son are you? Do you know who your daddy is? Because all of the Israelite army forgot. When they looked at Goliath, they forgot who their daddy was. They forgot who their heavenly father was. They forgot all the promises that he had given them that never will I leave you. Never will I free. Free or not, be strong and be courageous. Do not be terrified, for I am the Lord that is with you wherever you go. About to bust out in the VBS dance. You know what I'm Fear not. This is the God that they're, you know, on top of that, can I tell you that giant, defeating a giant was already old news. Why? Because the promised land 
when Joshua and Caleb and the other spies got sent out to scope out the, the promised land, you know why they came back with a bad report? It was because it was filled with giants, giants. In fact, they say, scholars say that Goliath came from that lineage, that he was a, 10 feet tall and all of, and listen, Goliath was one person. But the Israelite army defeated a whole city of Goliaths at one point. Back in the day, a whole generation missed out on entering in the promised land because they couldn't believe God could do it. But another generation rose up and they defeat, they stepped into the promised land and they possessed that land. They cut down every single enemy and every existing thing of that enemy. They possessed the land, and yet when it was time for the Israel army, who should have known that past, who should have remembered to face one, one giant, they all froze in fear. They forgot all that God has done. Isn't that like us and deception? Maybe the giant that you're facing has a different name and a different outfit and different armor, but trust me, you've already been victorious over deception. And not just one, all of y'all sit, you know, so many people I can name names have defeated armies of giants already. You lived lives under such heavy bondage and deception and you're walking completely free. Yet when we see just one giant come to our path, why, why would we ever let that one giant stop us from pursuing God's promises in our lives? I want you guys to turn with me to uh, second, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12, verse three. And I'm going to talk just really quickly on why the Israelite army, why it was foolish for them not to believe. Um, Genesis chapter 12, verse three, it's the Abrahamic blessing. This is God blessing Abraham. Okay. And part of the blessing, it says this, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. I'm just going to end there. I will bless those who bless you. NIV says, I will curse those who curse. Can I tell you something about Goliath? He had it coming. It could have been David. It could have been a donkey. It could have been a little boy. It could have been a little girl. It could have been anybody. Anybody that just believed that what God said was true could have walked up to David and David would have died. Why? Because David, I mean, for Goliath, Goliath would have died. What? Hold up. Goliath. Goliath would have died. Why? Because for 40 days, Goliath cursed God's people. For 40 days, he cursed God's people. He taunted God's people. He provoked God's people. He had it coming. That's why David went out burning. That's why David, who wasn't a skilled soldier, he wasn't, he never fought a battle in terms of an army battle ever before. That's why David, as young as he was, even though he was delivering bread and cheese, he walked up and he heard what Goliath was saying was like, oh, that's my cue. Because I know that that, that, that man right there is doomed for death. Because those who bless me will be blessed. But anybody that curses God's people, they're cursed. And so this is going to be easy. It's going to be easy. The deceptions that you're facing is easy. We look at it like, man, it's going to take years to overcome. It's going to take, oh, my whole life, I'm going to climb up this mountain and overcome it. It's easy, folks, for you to break through no matter how intense the armor, no matter how tall the giant, 
no matter how skilled, Goliath was a champion. He was an undefeated champion. I'm sure he pulled those one-on-one scenarios all the time, and he was alive, so he won. So he was skilled, yet it did not matter. Nothing was able to stand against who God was. See, David stood there thinking to, myself, t- thinking to himself, looking at Goliath, this fool doesn't know me. Man, he does not know who I am. He does not know who we are. He, David was so surprised at what Goliath was saying that he had to go from confirmation. Did he really say? Did he really? Wait, what did he say? What is he? What is he? What? Did he really? Oh, hold up a second. And he burned. While the other Israelites were afraid, he burned with anger because he's like, you do not know who you're messing with right now. When deception comes your way, I hope our hearts will burn. It will kindle with anger against the enemy saying, listen, fool, you do not know who I am. There is no way I'm going to entertain this thought. Cutting off the head of the giant, that way that that's manifested today is taking captive our thoughts. Our giants are not circumstances. It is not people, y'all. Sometimes we we think it's people and we try judo chop people. It's not going to work. That's not our giant. Our giant is our thought life. What have you been thinking? What have you been believing? What have you been saying is true over your life? And it's time we cut some of those thoughts from the head that we stop wasting time dwelling on those things. You know how I said that giving in to deception, it opens the door for others to give in to deception? Well, watch how David's victory opened the door for other victories. I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles. Oh, sorry, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, verse 21. Oh, 2 Samuel, chapter 2. What? 2 Samuel, chapter 21. There we go. Verses uh, 18 to 22. 2 Samuel. All right, 21, verses 18 to 22. I'm just going to read that for you guys. Oh, actually, I remember this was a very hard passage to read. We'll read it together and pronounce these names together, okay? All right, here we go, 18 to 22. After this, there was again a war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushethite, struck down Sab, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elenan, the son of Jer Oregim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again a war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. Read 22. These four were descended from the giants of Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Listen, when you defeat your giants, you set the path for others to defeat your giants as well. Here comes this giant. Y'all, six fingers, okay? Six fingers on each hand, six toes. And he is trying to pick a fight with Israelites yet again. Now, was it David? No, it was Jonathan this time. Now, Jonathan, who was probably hiding when Goliath was around. Jonathan saw this giant 
And he said, man, who does this fool think he is? And he slayed him. Why? Because he remembered that day when David took out Goliath like this. And he probably said to himself, man, giants are nothing. This is nothing. This is nothing. This is my inheritance. You know, sometimes you guys face giants in your life. There's two things I want to say. One, somebody already slayed that giant. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care how unique. I don't care how severe. Have faith. Someone has already slayed that giant. The second thing is when you defeat that giant, you're opening the door for others to slay that giant as well. Jonathan went out with boldness this time. It didn't matter what he came across. He knew, man, giants are a small thing, itty-bitty thing. What are you, itty-bitty? Boom, and he killed them. What's interesting is this, read 22, there are four descendants of giants in Gath. How many stones did David have? Five. How many stones did he use to kill Goliath? How many stones does that leave? Four. See, what we need to understand is when David defeated Goliath, it was a prophetic sign. He picked up five stones, not because he needed five. He probably didn't know what that was going to mean in the future. But later on, four other giants, like Goliath, slayed by David and, my favorite part, by the hands of his servants. It wasn't just David slaying giants anymore. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a giant slayer. Pastor Benjamin, he said it like this. I love this picture. He talked about being a lion versus a deer. And too many times we relate more to the deer that panteth for the water. It's a good picture. It does describe our thirst for the Lord. That's great. But when it comes to deception, when it comes to, you know, hard circumstances, trials, or whatever may come your way, I hope that you and I remember that we're a lion, we're as bold as a lion. Why? Because two things happen. When a, when a deer is in the jungle, or a deer in jungle? Okay, when deer are in their habitat, okay, and they hear a rustling in the distance, you know what they do? They freak out. And most likely they hear, I guess I'm making the noise I want to make. But you know what I mean? Rustle, rustle, rustle. Thank you. And all of a sudden a deer will book it. Why? Because they're afraid. In their mind, they're thinking, oh, another defeat or another fight that I'm probably going to lose and I'm going to, I might die. But a lion, when a lion hears a rustle, you know what he says? It's dinner time. (laughs) Another, another accomplishment, another victory. I want us to walk like that. Even in the face of deception, I don't care what thoughts come your way. I hope even if you get the thought rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to be defeated by this thought. I'm going to be defeated by this issue. No, I hope you say, oh, another victory. Another victory. Oh, another giant I'm going to slay. Another giant. You and I are giant slayers. Amen? I want you guys to just close your eyes real quick. It's time we look at the story of David and Goliath, not as something that we should obtain, not as something that is so incredible. Listen, what David did wasn't incredible. What was incredible was that the rest of the army couldn't do what David did. 
you and I should be looking at David and saying, man, that's easy. If I was in his shoes, I would have done the same exact thing. I want us to live life hearing that story and seeing it as our inheritance, our lineage, our giant slayers. We come from fathers of faith that slayed so many giants of deception. So many giants of deception. Daniel in the lion's den, man, he wasn't even shook. Joseph, in each circumstance that he faced, he was never brought to despair. Never, not for one moment. Abraham and Sarah being told that they were going to have a baby when they were mad old. That was a big giant. And yet still we have Isaac and the lineage of Jesus birthed out of that. I want you guys to just think and ask the Lord to reveal your heart where you have been entertaining deception in your life. And we want to break free because there's no time to waste, y'all. Especially in this season that we're in, we don't have time to waste being deceived. We don't have time to waste allowing ourselves to be in the in the pits of self-pity. And so rather than praying for you, I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to lift up your voice all together. We're going to pray out loud. And I want us to begin to speak to every giant. I want us to speak to every deception. And I want you to declare the word of God. I want you to declare the truth over your situation, your circumstances, even your weaknesses. Some of you, your giants are your, your beliefs of yourself. The greatest deception that you're carrying is what you believe about you. God wants to completely eliminate. He wants you to cut the head off of those lives today. So let's just all begin to pray. I want you to begin to raise up your voices. Let's just begin to pray out loud and just speak in faith over those lives. Come on, let's pray. I just thank you that in this room, when you look at us, God, you know what you see. And God, you see a people who have the authority and the anointing to slay any giant that comes our way. Anything that taunts us, anything that challenges your word in our lives. Anything that tells us that we're less than, God, we thank you that we have the ability and the strength to cut off its head. And I thank you that you're calling a people who are learning how to take thought, take captive every thought that is in disobedience to you. And Lord, that you're raising up an army that walks in truth. Father, I thank you that now's the time to build. Now's the time to...